Ladies and gentlemen, I wanted to introduce a new sponsor to the podcast. Hillsdale College has been a longtime sponsor of the broadcast. And for the new year, they've graciously agreed to exclusively sponsor the first hour or segment of the podcast. I believe deeply in the principles and mission of Hillsdale College, which I share with you during the upcoming segment. My thanks and appreciation to Hillsdale College for their long partnership with the show. And now, the podcast. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. an eventful week what an eventful weekend and what an eventful day it has been holy cow starting with uh our friend amy klobuchar yesterday that was like the all-time caption it was a made-for-tv moment because as you're watching amy the one thing that came to mind for me well shoot she doesn't have a snowball's chance in hell I stand before you as the granddaughter of an iron ore miner, as the daughter of a teacher and a newspaper man, as the first woman elected to the United States Senate from the state of Minnesota to announce my candidacy for president of the United States. So there she is, Amy Klobuchar, and uh, it was just amazing to see that. I really couldn't get out of my head. I was just cracking up to myself. She really doesn't have a snowball's chance in hell. Uh, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. She actually does, and, and I'm going to explain a little bit more next hour about how and why she might have a path. Now, she is being incorrectly characterized as a centrist. I love how if you are just less socialist than than say uh, bernie sanders you're now a centrist that's been the barometer there are actually 13 active democrats democrats in the u.s senate that are actually to the right of amy klobuchar so as you listen to the media and they say the centrist the moderate she's a left-wing uh, cook just like a lot of them she's just not quite uh, as far left-wing as, as say, our, our friend uh, Pocahontas or Bernie Sanders, as the case may be. And coming up next hour, I'll break down where this whole puzzle kind of fits together and what you're seeing coalesce on the left. There are various different lanes. Remember, you don't have to win 50% of the vote. You just have to get ahead of the other folks in the path on the left. So that's one piece of this entire fiasco coming together. Uh, and by the way, the characterizations of her, too. How many times have you heard or read over the past say, oh, she is brave. Wow, she braved the weather. And, and the people that were out there for her, they braved the weather. Now, I didn't realize that actually standing in the snow made you brave. <laughs> I mean, if that's the case now, your kids going out there and playing and, and throwing snowballs and making snow, they're brave. Whew, those are some brave kids. You, I mean, I, I know we've wussified the country, but seriously, people, come on now. All right, hey, it is your uh, South Florida friend, Brian Mudd. I host the Morning Rush on WJNO in West Palm Beach, uh, the Brian Mudd Show on WIOD in Miami. I am a guest contributor to the Fox News Channel. I uh, am a lint removal specialist as well, and it is always an honor and a pleasure to be right here with you. And on uh, Friday, I gave you some information about how wrong people already are getting 2020. A lot of it has to do with the Hispanic vote and, and all the characterizations that are out there about the demographics of the country and everything else. 
just as they got it wrong in, in 2016, they're going to get it wrong again in 2020. And, and again, coming up next hour, I'll give you more of those details. But I wanted to start here. I wanted to start about the inconvenient truth and the teachable moment presented by, yes, Representative Omar. Now, speaking of uh, folks from Minnesota, on one hand, you know, it, it's disconcerting that someone is politically radical as Minnesota's Representative Omar having her serve in Congress. That, that is pretty disconcerting. But on the other hand, she's providing a teachable moment. In fact, teachable moment after teachable moment after another. With her tweets uh, today, including the, it's all about the Benjamins, you know, the, the uh, support of, of Israel and, and Jewish people, it's all, about the, it's all about money. This on back of her previously having had any number of other anti-Semitic comments, including, by the way, calling Israel evil. Uh, I love how you can get an apology and, and the news media will report it as though it's legitimate when you've actually referred to Israel as evil. Kind of reminds me several years ago, Benjamin Netanyahu, I, I forget who who it was that was interviewing him, you know, some mainstream news media source. And the, the question was, well, why is it that you don't want to sit down with Hamas and negotiate? And Netanyahu said, they've said that they want to kill us. They want to eliminate Israel. When the starting point for a negotiation is, hey, we'd like to live. You really don't have a whole lot to talk about, do you? So here's what we know about Representative Omar. She thinks Israel is evil. Are you really surprised if she's going to make cracks about Jewish people and Israel, given the opportunity? But yeah, I'm sure her apology this time is much more legitimate than all the others. But we'll give her a pass, right? Because that's political correctness. But that's not the teachable moment I'm talking about here. The teachable moment, once again, is for those who are ignorant about militant Islam. In part due to ignorance... In part due to political correctness, but most people just don't have the first clue what hardcore Islamists stand for. Now, you've been conditioned that terrorists are, are not really Islamists, right? And that the rest of hardcore Islam, you know, they, they everybody just wants sunshine and lollipops, right? I mean, come on. But none of that's true. I've depicted this for years. I've taken endless amount of heat on it. But here's what's real. Islam is full of different sects, not unlike most other religions. But what is different is that what we call terrorism is actually a sect of Islam. It happens to be called for in the Quran by Muhammad himself. I know it's kind of inconvenient. You just have to keep reading the book. It's carried out through Sharia law. Now, just to give you an idea about how pervasive still the idea of Sharia and some of these extremist tendencies are, you have 12 countries still practicing full Sharia right now, including Afghanistan, Indonesia, Iran, Iraq, Maldives, Nigeria. Ah, Nigeria. They're going to come up here in a second. Qatar, Saudi Arabia, Sudan, UAE, Yemen. Now, notice a general trend there. Pretty much all uh, terror-sponsoring nations, right? I, I'm sure that's just a coincidence, though. Uh huh. So then you have about 30 other countries that use tenets of Sharia within their government without strict interpretation. Now, does that necessarily mean that they view the world that you do, or are they just more likely to stop short of, say, stoning women? 
who happen to be raped, for example. Now, again, the inconvenient truth, right? See, the point is, while there are peaceful sects of Islam, there are wide swaths of the world that are radical. And as you'll often hear me say, the most pervasive form of bias in news media is omission. For example, the Pew Research Center, they studied the topic in 2013, found that all told 51% of Muslims believe in Sharia law. Where did you ever hear that reported, though? See, that's where this becomes the much bigger issue. While most won't radicalize as terrorists, those who adhere to the strict tenets also have proven that they don't often stand in the way of those who decide to join the caliphate. So as Representative Omar today is walking back her depiction once again of Jewish people and the state of Israel is being all about the Benjamins and you know making her, her traditional statements that are consistent with her view of Israel being evil. I'll give you an idea of what's been going on and the neck of the world that she's familiar with. How many Islamic terror attacks have you heard of in 2019 so far? Any? You ready for the actual numbers? Just in the last 30 days, the just 30 days, we have had 110 Islamic terror attacks across 23 countries, killing 544 people, including 715 additional injured. Now, it's just that most of these are in Africa or in the Middle East, so it's easy for the news media to ignore it, right? But see, that's where the hypocrisy and the irony comes full circle with Representative Omar. You think that given that she's a refugee of Africa, she might care about terror attacks there, for example, which haven't been committed by any Jewish people. See, just in the past two days, remember Nigeria? They fully adhered to Sharia over there, right? Well, oh, it just so happens that we've had two terror attacks over the past two days, killing two people on each occasion. I mean, nothing to see here, though, right? But to Representative Omar, clearly her concern is Israel. So if you're wondering where that comes from, I'll refer you to the Quran. See, in defense of Representative Omar, the rest of us, that don't see the world as she does, well, we happen to be infidels. But why let the facts get in the way of political correctness, right? So, yeah, the the teachable moment for those that are interested in the truth is that Representative Omar, simply representing her sect of Islam, she just happens to be doing it in Congress, representing people in Minnesota. See, the the truth, it, it hurts, Or it can kill, as the case may be. But once again, a teachable moment. We're just getting warmed up. Got a lot more for you. Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mudd, love in. I want to thank our sponsor, Hillsdale College, for all they do to try and maintain the greatness of America. You know, most colleges have enough trouble maintaining the greatness on their own campuses. And they have declined. And they have fallen into cultural rot, not Hillsdale College. It's a special place. And now they reach out to all citizens of the country to spread the word of liberty, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, capitalism, all the great things that make America what she is today. 
And now that Congress is under new leadership, it already seems to be on a mission to thwart our liberty, doesn't it? Yours and mine. But too many representatives don't know how to preserve liberty, and too many of them don't care. We call them progressives. But I'm not interested in the progressives. I'm interested in you, we the people. It's up to we the people to retain what we have earned and to retain what we have received from our founding fathers. And our founding fathers counted on we the people to hold our government in check. And being able to do that means understanding the proper role of Congress. That's why for a limited time, my good friends at Hillsdale have brought their powerful online course on the history and proper role of Congress back, absolutely free, to equip all of us to know what we should expect of our Congress. Hillsdale is on a mission to restore liberty like the rest of us. And you can take their excellent online course for free for a limited time. Sign up today for this critical course at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Learn how Congress used to work and why it doesn't anymore. Learn about liberty, the Declaration, the Constitution. Go to levinforhillsdale.com. Now it turns out not only don't they want to give us the money for the wall, they don't want to give us the space to detain Murderers, criminals, drug dealers. Uh, the president, as he's getting ready to head to El Paso for his rally, about a thousand feet from border wall in El Paso, as we are down to the final days before what would be another partial government shutdown on Friday. And uh, the word is the latest negotiations with the bipartisan congressional committee somewhere in the neighborhood of one and a half to two billion dollars for a physical border wall. But they want to cut down funding for things like, well, detention facilities, including ICE funding. Now, this would mean that uh, there would be less capacity to hold people once they get into the United States. Now, why does this matter? Well, here's the funny thing. See, the big fraud about the Democrats who say, oh, just technology at the the border wall. Technology is great. And yeah, hmm. see, here's what they know. They know that the moment that somebody touches American soil, they have to be processed. That's if we even find them. And I got some incredible updated information about the crush of border apprehensions. I mean, the absolute crush. You want to talk about spiking levels of border detentions, let alone the folks that we aren't getting? Holy cow, is that happening? But we'll touch on that in a little bit. The The bigger issue with the processing, we don't have the facilities to be able to process all the, the increase in people that are coming across the southern border. So what happens if they get here? Our legal system says you have to be processed. And then you don't have a place for them to go. Oh, I, I guess we're just going to have to, what, maybe catch and release like sanctuary cities like to do or something? See, that's the big fraud. And as I mentioned to you Friday, there is a hard cost, a hard cost for every person that we do detain. At any given time, in, in terms of the folks that we apprehend at the southern border that are waiting to be processed, we have more than 30000 on average at a cost of more than $135 per person per day. So it's over $4.1 million per day that we average in expense just to hang on to the people at the southern border. But now Democrats want to cut down the funding so we won't even be able to house them. Isn't that convenient? But that's not the only inconvenient truth. See, one of the other fraudulent notions that's been put out there is the idea that somehow or another illegal immigrants do not commit crimes once they get into the country. Now, it's always been the biggest farce running. Always been the biggest farce. Think about this for a moment. If your first act 
in a country is breaking the law, why should we automatically assume that, hey, you know, going forward, I really kind of am into this country and, and its laws. I think I'll, I'll start abiding by them. I mean, it's kind of based on a false premise, right? In I, I will talk about the premise. If anything's based on a false premise, anything built on it is probably going to fail. Well, it, it turns out that the real statistics actually do show that illegal immigrants do commit more crime in the United States. You see, using the most recent incarceration information from ICE, which came from 2016, and doing a little math, here's what's real. We have an average of 488 illegal immigrants that are incarcerated for federal crimes per day in this country. You know that? Nearly 500 per day that are incarcerated for doing whatever. Of that, about 6% of all federal incarcerations are illegal immigrants. Think about that. About 6% all federal crime, illegal immigrants. Now, according to the most recent information, use the Pew Research Center's data, we have an estimated 10.8 million illegal immigrants in the United States. You take a look at the overall population of this country at 323 million, and what do you have? I got some quick math for you. And the bottom line is, well, the incarceration rate, given the population of this country and the population of illegal immigrants, tells us that an illegal immigrant is 76% more likely to be incarcerated for committing a federal crime once they're in the United States. And once again, where have you heard that information? Oh, yeah, no, but, but that's not right. I mean, that's a, uh-huh. All you've actually got to do is take the information from ICE, take the information on illegal immigration from the Pew Research Center and our population from the Census Bureau and put the ball of wax together and you get that fact. 76% more likely to be incarcerated for committing the federal crime once they're inside the United States. Now, you would think that would be kind of a big deal, right? If somebody were 76% more of a risk, never mind the fact that they're actually a federal criminal for actually being here in the first place. But details. But it also goes hand in hand with a logical argument that I've always advanced, which is, once again, why is it that we would necessarily expect someone to start abiding by the laws when they've already decided that they don't want to abide by them for being here. Uh, especially when you consider this other fact. Think about how difficult it can be for people who are low-skilled, low-educated in this country, even in today's great economy. Now, you know what the average illegal immigrant has by way of skills and education? Less than a high school education. Not the equivalent of a U.S. high school education. No, they have less than a high school education in their country of origin. Now think about that one for a moment. And the language barrier most of the time. So with that information in hand, pretty much how can anyone justify any of the lawlessness associated with tolerating illegal immigration? But once again, Democrats want to play politics over doing their job, doing what's in your interest financially and your safety, and no violating the road to the Constitution. But details, right? Two sides to stories, one side to facts. Got a lot more of those facts coming up next. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one, Mark Levin.
Now, ladies and gentlemen, it appears that the new congressional leadership is on a course to impede our liberty, your liberty and mine and the future liberty of your children and your grandchildren. Many of our representatives simply don't understand or care about the critical imperative to preserve our liberty. And it would seem that some of these so-called progressives actually seek to kill it. And these progressives are quite unlikely to understand or learn these things, which is why we have to. We need to overcome them. Our founding fathers counted on we the people to hold our government in check and be Being able to do that means understanding the proper role of Congress. Now, to help us understand this critical issue for a limited time, my friends at Hillsdale College have brought their powerful online course on the history and proper role of Congress back, absolutely free to equip all of us to know what we should expect of our Congress. I encourage you to check out this course, but not just you, your family, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors. Spread the word of liberty like Hillsdale College is. Hillsdale is on an important mission to restore liberty in our great country. And for a limited time, you can take their excellent and enlightening online courses for free. I urge you to sign up right now for this critical course at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Learn how Congress used to work and why it doesn't work anymore. Learn more about liberty. Spread the word. Go to levinforhillsdale.com. The modern voice of the Founding Fathers. This is the Mark Levin Show. Dial in now at 877-381-3811. All of the other things are nice to have. But without a wall, it's not going to work. We can have technology. We can have beautiful drones flying all over the place. But it doesn't work without the wall. Now, we need a wall. We can call it anything. We'll call it barriers. We'll call it whatever they want. The president, as he was getting ready to head to El Paso for his rally this evening. And here's uh, part of the, the great irony. So we're going to have the Beto uh, experience that is going to be opposite the Trump rally this evening. Now, I still am fascinated how we have Beto, who has managed to lose his way into prominence. You know, once upon a time, losing actually hurt your overall ranking within your own party, but not if you're Beto O'Rourke. No, just losing somewhat respectably in, in Texas. That that puts you on a plane and a path towards, I don't know, maybe 2020, or at least into a dentist chair to uh, do one of the weirdest and creepiest things that anybody who's been desperate for attention would do. I, I will be perfectly at peace if I never saw a dental exam again, let alone Beto's. But here's the bigger thing. Anybody uh, notice the irony? I was taking a look at uh, so much of the reporting on this today and, and thought it was absolutely hilarious. Guess what Beto will be behind? See, President Trump he is going to be approximately 1,000 feet from a, a border wall in El Paso. And Beto is going to be across from him, not too far away. Now, wouldn't it be more appropriate if Beto were not hiding behind the border wall? I mean, come on. Now he's just pulling another Acosta, right? Be a real man. Come on, go out there and and show us that it's completely cool where there's no border security at all. There's the irony. Beto O'Rourke behind the Trump wall (laughs) in the Trump rally. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Just one of many ironies that are out there. Now, I was talking about uh, the false information often perpetuated by illegal immigrants Uh, That uh, the media would have you think that illegal immigrants first act breaking our law, our federal law, 
by being here. Somehow or another, once they get here, man, you know what they really want to do? Now they want to learn our laws and abide by them. Or the facts would actually demonstrate, based upon federal incarceration records and uh, doing some math on our population, they're 76% more likely to break the law once they're here. I mean, details, right? But that's not the only thing. What about the cost of illegal immigration? Ended up doing a five-year cost analysis. We're, we're talking about a build-out here. With the wall, it doesn't happen overnight. And one of the things that has been often discussed and misunderstood is what's been happening for the past couple of years. Now, I spent a little time Friday night speaking about this. And just to catch you up to speed, if you're not familiar, what's actually happened with the wall, it's been that we got two separate appropriations, one in each of the prior years. The first thing that the president wanted to do was to take the existing border wall, which right now we have a third of the entire southern border walled off. Something else that is omitted from this conversation by your mainstream news media. A third of the southern border is actually walled off. But when the president came into office, he ended up receiving a report that, well, Mr. President, about 280 miles or just under half of our existing border wall either needed uh, repairs or needed to be modernized. So rather than going out and trying to build off of the existing wall with any of the appropriated money, first priority of his was to actually go in there and replace, modernize, do whatever was necessary to get the existing southern border wall up to speed. Once he did that, then he would take a look at the extension off of it. Now, he had been working parallel paths right along. You might have heard about the prototypes that were uh, being demonstrated and uh, the, the various different uh, prototypes that would be considered for projects along the southern border. That all happened. Everything has been on pace. If President Trump got every dollar he needed for border wall construction, we would be exactly where we are today. The issue is going forward from here. And the issue uh, is that at some point uh, in the not-so-distant, the money that has been utilized to modernize, to refresh, and for prototypes – they're going to get the job done down there, and then we're going to be sitting on our hands, waiting for the next move. The $5.7 billion number that you constantly hear bantied about is not a random number. It's very specific for a specific purpose. It would take our existing border wall from a 33% coverage area of our southern border to 50%, pretty much on the nose. So half of the entire southern border would have a physical protection to it. Now, in terms of the actual cost, here's your irony as we're talking about this being pretty much a five-year project from where he started to where this money would actually be built out to the 50% level. If you take a look at the five-year cost of illegal immigration in this country, I thought it was interesting. I took a look at information in December from the Center for Immigration Studies, and the five-year cost of illegal immigration, about $134 billion. Yeah, that's right, $134 billion. See, the average annual cost runs about $26.8 billion. So, in other words, the cost of the border wall addition requested by President Trump, that $5.7 billion, we actually spend that in illegal immigration in this country about every two and a half months. But that's just the net cost of illegal immigration to us, to the taxpaying types, once they're actually inside of this country. See, part of the farce of the technology over a physical wall argument for much of the southern border, the hard cost associated with processing illegal immigrants 
once they step foot on American soil. Now, I mentioned this uh, just a bit ago. We have to process them the moment that they step on our soil, right, with a hard cost. And again, over $4.1 million per day just to service the folks at the southern border. So you take a look at the anticipated five-year cost. If we were to do nothing differently with illegal immigration in this country, just keep on status quo. You adjust for inflation, and guess what? We'll spend $156 billion doing nothing, or we could spend round trip maybe $25 billion on the physical border protection, not just that Donald Trump says we need, but, of course, the Border Patrol himself, themselves, say that we need. I mean, details, right? Let's go to Charlie in Philly. Charlie, go. How you doing, sir? Hey, all good. Listen, um, Trump hit on it a few months ago, a year ago, whatever, about the merit-based system. I'm a little familiar with this. Um, immigration was based in large part on merit before the 80s. We all saw the debacle that took place with Reagan, and they snooped him over the amnesty. Um, you had to have a certain kind of education. You had to have a certain kind of skill. Sometimes you had to have a sponsor. Sometimes you had a company that, want, that they, you, they wanted them, they wanted someone to work for them. That person wanted to come to the United States and work for that particular company. There were prerequisites. It was a merit-based system. Now it's, do we really, really want basically millions of people who are low-skilled, low-education in our country? Well, and it depends on who you are, right? If you want to create a constituency that you think can eventually vote for you, the answer might be yes. If if you want to play a game uh, to pander to an existing base, the answer might be yes. But if you want to do the right thing, the responsible thing by the American people, the answer is pretty obvious. I, I would agree with you. But here's a question that's never asked. Why are these people so desperate, Dan? And why are their countries, their governments so corrupt? Okay. Um, addressed. Yeah, well, and it's a great uh, question. Thanks, Charlie. You know, it's interesting because there, there are a couple different answers to this. The first thing that drives me crazy, how much foreign aid we just give out. Here we are, $21.5 trillion in debt. And we do foreign aid to countries like Honduras. You know, we're giving them like a billion and a half dollars per year. And what were they doing? They're helping load up the caravans to send our way. Now, it's easy to explain why they do what they do in the case of Honduras. Well, shoot, if they have, quote-unquote, maybe undesirables by their standard, hey, send them out. That's less that they have to account for in their country, right? That's part of the answer. But the other is, in, in terms of our system, what is it ultimately that, from a political standpoint, Democrats need? Democrats need people that need them. See, this has always been the the real challenge of the conservative argument. The real challenge is we want you to have freedom. We want you to have liberty. We want you to have a better life. But that requires you actually reaching out there and taking it, right? We are here to provide you a hand, to give you that opportunity, to give you that freedom. We are not here to just create a dependency class. See, the the difficulty, and, and this is some of what is interesting to watch even right now, politically. Take the black vote in this country. Been trending well north of 90% for Democrats for decades now. Well, will it remain there? 
see, part of the issue, and this is true of millennials as well. You know, millennials, a lot of people said, oh, you know, they're, they're going to turn into democratic socialists and everything else. And I was more optimistic about them because I said, look, they came up in the Great Recession as adults. They entered the Obama economy. We had 1.8% economic growth. You weren't able to get ahead. They would never seen a real American economy. So you go from the education establishment that tells you that capitalism isn't the answer. You have all this student loan debt coming out of college. And then what happens to you? You get out in the economy. It sucks, and you can barely get ahead, and you've got a low-paying job for your college education. I didn't blame them for buying into the nonsense. It seemed like it was correct, but here's the difference. Just one and a half years inside of a real U.S. economy, a 3%-plus growth economy, what happened? Well, we have wage growth year over year. That is the best it's been since 1987, when you take a look at the number of hours worked and the 3.2% increase in wages. We now have millennials with the best quality of life in American history. The average millennial at their age earning $10,000 more per year than their parents did. 20% better quality of life. I don't think they're going to be as liberal going forward. Not to mention every generation starts out more liberal than it ends up by the time you go through traditional family formation. So take this back to the Democrats for a moment and, and why you know they need the opportunity. If you suddenly have black Americans that see that, hey, we can get ahead. We've got a near record low unemployment rate. We did hit a record low unemployment rate last year. We're making more money. There is a path forward with a good economy. If you see millennials that are getting opportunities, that are grasping those opportunities and seeing that, hey, you know what? Maybe all that stuff in the the textbooks and in the classroom and that we've been fed by Obama and company, that might not be correct. This Trump economy isn't such a bad thing. And then you take a look at the same thing with Hispanics with a record low unemployment rate. Remember, we have record low unemployment rates for pretty much every minority from from. Hispanics, black adults, Asians, Native Americans even, and women. The only category that has demographic that has not reached a record low unemployment rate over the past year, white men. Now, that's irony for you. So what you're seeing ultimately, the, all these dependency classes that the Democrats had counted on, they're having a really hard time right now because they're all doing better. So you've got to create a new underclass, a new round of people that you can convince need you. And to get the goodies, you're going to have to keep voting for us. That's what's really going on here. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mud Lovin'. The new congressional leadership is in town, but there's nothing new about what they're pushing. Big government, centralized government, iron-fisted government, higher taxes, more regulations, open borders. They're on a mission to obstruct our freedom and undermine our sovereignty. Yours, mine, all of ours. And too many representatives don't care. This is the nature of progressivism. It's an ideological poison. And the best way to fight it is with knowledge, information about liberty, about the Declaration, about the Constitution, and how Congress is supposed to work. It's up to we, the people, to understand what our government is and is not supposed to do. And that includes Congress. And thankfully, my good friends at Hillsdale College have brought back the powerful online course on the history and proper role of Congress, and it's absolutely free. Please take advantage of this remarkable offer to equip yourself, your family, your friends, your neighbors with the knowledge that all of us should have about our Congress and our government generally. 
Hillsdale College is on a critical mission to restore liberty in our great country. And you can take their excellent online courses for free for a limited time. So sign up right now for this important course at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Learn how Congress used to work and why it doesn't anymore so we can do something about it. Go to levinforhillsdale.com. House Democrats see kneecapping American law enforcement as a higher priority than keeping the government open. But it would be even harder to believe that leading Democrats would be open to this craziness. This craziness. And would let this last minute poison pill scuttle the entire appropriations process. I mean, Mitch McConnell, the, the way he comes across, he never inspires confidence, but he actually manages to get some pretty incredible things done from time to time. And he was right on point there talking about uh, what is absurd here at the southern border. You have but one responsibility in Congress. The only federal mandate is that you keep the country safe by not prioritizing that. Everything else is based on a false premise, and you're violating your oath to the Constitution. We'll talk more about that here in momentarily, but come on. All right, let's go to Andrew in New Jersey. Andrew, go. Hey, how's it going? All There's good. There's a Star Trek episode called Mud's Women, but uh, it probably has nothing to do with you, but I just <laughs> wanted to mention it. <laughs> Did you see that one? I mentioned it. Uh, my wife is the Trekkie fan, so she probably picked up on that one. But uh, no, it definitely does not have anything to do with me. And my wife is a legal immigrant and a minority and all the points that you said were excellent, but I think the main point and what people that aren't immigrants or not married to an immigrant is that it's unfair, illegal immigration. People waited, and, and they had to pay the fees. We had to go through all the immigration process. And I would tell pro-illegal immigrants and immigrant groups, I would tell them, well, why don't you raise money? and give the money to legal immigrants so they could use it to pay their fees. <laughs> so that, that didn't go over well with them. And it's also less safe as far as uh, health-wise and, like you mentioned, security. And lastly, yes, there are people that are racist and have bad motivation, but people that are offended by illegal border crossings are mostly Spanish immigrants that came here legally. They're not racist against themselves. They are Spanish. They're not anti-immigrant they are yeah. immigrants who are offended that they had to wait that we had to wait and they didn't oh I, I appreciate the call andrew and you're right on point i'm here in south florida and i hear it all the time i, I hear it pretty much daily how offensive it is to legal immigrants people that wanted to do it the right way people that probably know i would take your average legal immigrant over your average natural born american and civics all day long twice on tuesdays they will clean up. They understand what this country is about far more than folks that have been through the uh, traditional public education system in this country. Uh, but to your point, yeah, it is offensive to them. And there is a, an undertold truth here as well. Talk about the most pervasive form of bias in news media being omission. Well, this is, is one of those facts that's omitted. It was actually kind of interesting. Take a look at the exit polling from the uh, 2018 Midterm elections on the question of legal immigration, 64% of legal immigrants said they wanted the border wall built. You didn't hear that one reported anywhere, did you? 
Once again, two sides of stories, one side of facts. I'm Brian Mudd. I've got a lot more of those facts. I'll be back with you coming up next hour. In for the great one, Mark Levin. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from, from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Every 2020 Democratic aspirant should be asked, do you agree with that? Do you agree that we don't need any type of physical barrier at our southern border? Do you agree with abortion, anyone, anytime, anywhere? Do you agree with 70% taxes? Do you agree with Representative Omar of Minnesota when she's uh, being anti-Semitic in her tweets? I think they should all be asked the same thing 24-7. Do you think Ralph Northam should stay? Do you think Justin mm-hmm. Fairfax should stay? Kellyanne Conway laying down the boom this morning on Fox and Friends. It's a good point. It's a good point because... You know, anytime you have these awful controversies, what will Democrats and their friends in the media do? Well, they'll go with whatever the controversy is and ask every single notable Republican they can find, well, do you stand by so-and-so for what they said here or what they did there? You notice how it never applies, going the other way. Uh, It never. Uh, So, you know, Kellyanne, uh, interesting point as we try to figure out if Kellyanne is the real leaker. One of the um, floating... Theories out there is that Kellyanne Conway is actually the the leaker of the Trump schedule. Uh, But uh, we we will get to the bottom of it, I'm sure, uh, as the president has uh, tasked his staff with figuring out who leaked the schedule and uh, tweeting out over the weekend that he probably works more than any president in modern history. Which, given how little the guy actually sleeps, I mean, if nothing else, he's up. He's up and he's doing stuff. All right. Uh, hey, it is Brian Mudd, your South Florida friend. I do the Morning Rush, WJNO in West Palm Beach. Host the Brian Mudd Show, WIOD in Miami. Uh, I am a guest contributor to the Fox News Channel, and it is always an honor and a pleasure to be here with you. You may follow me at Brian Mudd Radio on Twitter. And my content, uh, yeah, various sites pick up various different things, but all of my content lives at WJNO.com if you are inclined. Now, there have been so many myths about the 2020 field already, and so much of it is a bunch of bunk. Friday night, took a little time to talk about one of those myths and how already you have some of the whiz-bang smart people that are getting it wrong, talking about demographics and how the Hispanic vote is going to be a larger percentage of the vote than ever before and blah, 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 blah. Now, Part of the reason why I say that's a bunch of nonsense is some of what I was actually sharing with you before the election last fall. Uh, In fact, some of the irony of what happens here in South Florida, because I actually think a lot of what happens here in South Florida with legal immigration, with people of differing backgrounds that have perspective that most Americans lack, like folks who have fled from Cuba, fled from Venezuela, understand what socialism is really like that realize that hey uh the the socialists bad dudes bad dudes that story doesn't end well we know our family is dealing with it right now bad bad so in that context the fact that we have a growing percentage of the hispanic vote and the democrats 
as a party seem to be drifting more towards socialism? Well, guess what? The assumed Hispanic support that is going to be lockstep with Democrats is ever more in doubt. And that's just one of many myths. And uh, my exhibit A on that one is my home state of Florida. If you take a look at Florida, we have more Hispanics as a total population of the vote than we've ever had before. And also on a percentage basis, more of the vote than we have ever had before. And coming out of the election cycle last year, Florida, for the first time since 1868, had a Republican governor and two Republican U.S. senators. So if necessarily having more Hispanics means that it's good news for Democrats, well, you probably should dig a little deeper and figure out what really goes on. Because conventional wisdom, as is often the case, not so wise. Speaking of the 2020 field, some of what's going on here. I've heard a lot of conventional wisdom already that is not wise. First, quick trivia question for you. How many Democrats are running for president? Isn't it crazy that we're not even halfway through February? And you probably already lost count. I mean, you know we got Spartacus, right? We know we have our tribal leader. She's in there. But, but, uh, oh, that's right, Castro. Yep, he got in there. Huh? Very quickly, you lose track. Now, you are familiar that Amy Klobuchar got in yesterday because she became the uh, the ice queen, the ice princess there. Uh, she braved a, the, the snow to, to give a speech. It was hot. It was the optics of it, for sure, interesting. But, uh, yeah, she was so brave to stand out in snow. Anyway, here's the deal. After Amy's entrance yesterday and before Beto, if, if Beto stands behind the wall in El Paso and announces he's running for president, as of now, we have nine elected officials that are running for president, plus six Democrats that are non-office holders that are running. So we actually have 15 Democrats that are already running for president. Remember how much of a joke it was back in 2015 uh, when we had 17 Republicans that were running for president? Here we are in February, and we're already at 15 Democrats. We're going to blow right past that number, but I'm sure it will be treated as a sideshow in a circus, the same as it was for Republicans and the mainstream news media. But anyway, I, I digress. Uh, the, the first thing is, anyone who tries to tell you, well, yeah, here's how this person is, is faring in the race, and here's what it looks like, and by the way, Biden is pulling the best right now, none of that means anything. None of them mean, to give you an idea, you know who was leading the Republican field in polling at this stage in 2015? Jeb Bush. Yes, Jeb Jeb Bush. So you get the idea of how relevant that actually is. So about the Amy Klobuchar thing, this is what I'm coin, I've coined the Andrew Gillum effect. I was uh, given a little information about Florida politics. And one of the things that was interesting last year to watch happen here, Andrew Gillum, who was the Bernie Sanders Democratic Socialist candidate, ended up coming through the primary. And did make a very close run for governor of Florida. Be it by the grace of God, he did not win. Anyway, the deal is, if you're thinking, hold on, since when did, did Florida become a, a Bernie Sanders-like state? Well, we didn't. And the Democrats, even for that matter, are not that type of Democrat generally in Florida. But what happened? How did you end up with that guy as the Democratic candidate? The answer was he was smart in the way he went about it. And I think he was true to himself. Andrew Gillum 
identified that in Florida, you have a traditional base of Democrats that are definitely left of center, but tend to be your capitalist-oriented type of Democrats, not your, hey, we're over here with Elizabeth Warren and, and Chief Nakahoma. Where, where, whatever happened to Chief Nakahoma, by the way? Used to be fun. Raise the hand of Homer. Anyway, I digress. So Andrew Gillum took the Bernie Sanders support and all that radicalized energy, then ended up getting some added support from the black community by virtue of being the black candidate for governor. And he rode that to a solid third of the Democrat vote. Yeah, that's right. Andrew Gillum ended up winning the Democratic primary in Florida with barely more than one in three Democrats voting for him in the state. What happened is he was one of seven, and the other six ended up taking the other two-thirds of the vote. But they beat each other up. Andrew ended up sliding through and won with 34% of the vote. And that really is the model that we have. Where you're seeing this story begin to shape up, you have this conventional wisdom out there that you got to go hard left, hard left, hard left, and, and you've got to uh, you know, try to compete for that Bernie Sanders support uh, that is out there in, in the hardest left wing of the Democratic Party. So you have a lot of candidates that seemingly are vying for that oxygen. Amy Klobuchar, no centrist whatsoever. By virtue of her voting record, there are 13 Democrats in the U.S. Senate that have voted with Donald Trump more often than Amy Klobuchar. She just happens to be right of Elizabeth Warren, for example. But when you put this whole thing together, here's what's going on. If all the folks in the Democratic primary look like they're shaping up to run for that hard left position, where might there be room? Well, something that is right of the wacky left wing. Now, today, that is represented by the Jeb Bush candidate in this year's race, which would be Joe Biden, should he decide that he's going to run. He's not in right now. You probably see in polling that he's polling in the low 30% range. But as you know, if there's one thing you do not want to be in Democratic politics, an older white man, we just can't have that. So what is perhaps more appealing, Amy Klobuchar thinks, is, well, I can be a younger woman and occupy that space that Joe Biden has been hanging out in. And maybe, as all the others compete over the radical base in the primary, I could slide through to the right of them with the non-left-wing Democrat vote. So that's the thing to really watch. Way too early to get into any of these specifics about where any of this stuff is going. Heck, they're liable to be some of these Democrats that are in today that drop out by the time we even get to debates later this year. But that is something to watch. You don't have to win in these very crowded primaries with a majority of the vote. You just have to do better than all the other Democrats that are in the race by finding your little place in that left-wing world these days. So anyway, uh, two sides of stories, one side of facts. I have more of them about the political setup and our, our friend AOC coming up in the not-so-distant. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mud Lovin'. Do you wake up in the morning feeling sluggish and have to drag yourself through your day? Do you feel bloated, tired, and out of shape? Eating healthy is a habit, but most of us don't really know exactly what we should be eating, right? How much we should be eating and how to properly prepare it. 
This is why I drink Field of Greens every morning before I start my day. Just one scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real USDA-certified organic fruits and vegetables. Helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. Now this is real food, not some fake supplement lab powder. Just read the Nutrition Facts panel on the side. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com and get 15% off your first order with the offer code LEVIN. Now, you know you're not going to start cooking fresh fruits and vegetables, so let's not pretend. Just get one full cup of fruits and one full cup of vegetables every day with Field of Greens. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouse, L-E-V-I-N.com, offer code LEVIN. justice system and treats you better if you're rich and guilty and poor and innocent so true that is so true cory booker it's your buddy spartacus standing up for what's right and what's just it is absolutely wrong that if you are wealthy and connected that you stand above the rule of law so i'm uh, imagining that at this point cory you're going to get ready to help us bring to justice hillary clinton say james comey andrew mccabe Sally Yates, Dana Bonetta, Rod Rosenstein, Bruce Orr, and his wife. Right? I mean, you're, you're going to help us because we should not have wealthy, connected people that are able to stand above the, the rule of law. So all these folks that illegally engaged in activity pertaining to the 2016 election, the bought-and-paid-for dossier, the conspirators that signed off on those FISA warrants deliberately withholding information from the FISA court, the folks that continued to do that even after Donald Trump was elected and even after he was president, again, with more falsified information provided to the FISA court. I'm sure you are going to do everything you can, Corey. You might cry a little bit because justice and the rule of law is not being adhered to. It's so good to know that uh, Cory Booker believes that Hillary Clinton should be brought to justice. Cory Booker believes James Comey should be brought to justice and Andrew McCabe and Sally Yates and Dana Bonetta and Rod Rosenstein and Bruce Orr and his wife. Anyway, um, that's cool. That's cool. I'm glad to hear that, Cory. Okay. Saying two sides of stories, one side of facts. We're talking about... Uh, the legality, the border, is obviously one of the hot buttons. We got the president's getting ready to do his uh, El Paso deal in Beto that is going to stand behind the border wall and do his own speech. But anyway, right along, my biggest frustration with the, the whole southern border debate, been that there shouldn't be a debate. It's the Border Patrol that actually requested the additional physical barriers. Somewhere along the way, it's been lost. And if we had this whole thing branded around the Border Patrol, rather than President Trump, maybe things would be slightly different. But regardless, the deal is that President Trump simply listened to the Border Patrol, who said, hey, uh, we need a wall down here. Now, anyone who says that we don't need additional physical border protection, you're not standing in opposition to the president first. You're actually standing in opposition to our Border Patrol. It's tasked with keeping us safe. And by denying them the resources that they say they need to do their job, what are you doing? It's the equivalent of essentially denying soldiers in battle the resources they say they need to fight. 
But it's easy to do because it's out of sight, it's out of mind, and you hear the Democrats lie and say, oh, yeah, we can do it with drones. I don't think we're getting into zapping people that are coming across the border, and that's about the only way you can actually control the situation with drones. Uh, Anyway, that's just part of it. The other little factoid, the inconvenient truth, as it were, is that the problem with the southern border is escalating big time. In fact, it's skyrocketed over the past year, the problem. Total southwest border apprehensions. The, the latest information was out from ICE and the Border Patrol just three days ago. And here's what we found. 2017, we had 415,000 total southwest border apprehensions. 415,000. Big number. You know what we had last year? 521,000 apprehensions. Yeah, 106 more detentions at the southern border last year over the the prior year. An increase of 26%. More apprehensions at the southern border. But the surge didn't just spike last year. It's still rising. The problem is still growing. If you take a look at just the four most recent months, overall detentions are totaling 242,000 just over the past four months. You know what that is? 60% higher than 2018. All right, so put this in perspective for you again real quick. Last year, we had an increase of 26% more apprehensions at the southwest border. And for the past four months, we're pacing 60% above that number. Give you a hard number. We are now averaging a total of 2,017 detentions per day at our southwest border. Now, what do you think that is doing to our system? to the folks at the southern border, to our border patrol, to the detention facilities, to the court system. And you think that's not a crisis? And if we're seeing detention spike by 60%, how many people do you think are illegally getting through without being detected? Think that might be spiking too? Think that might be dangerous? Now, the only mandated responsibility, this is it. You got but one. There, there is one non-negotiable in our Constitution. It's to protect us. It's to protect us. Every federal politician standing in opposition to our border protection that is requested by our border patrol, they're not just opposing President Trump. They're making them less safe. They're making us less safe. And they're violating the oath to the Constitution. And it's all in the name of politics. Now, how sick is that? The question is, what point will we demand better? Or do Democrats just care more about their political party than they do even being safe? I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one, Mark Levin. America's passionately cerebral voice. Talk with that voice now. 877-381-3811. What do you call caravans of thousands of people coming across the border? And when you hear the agents, the the Border Patrol agents saying they can't, there's not enough personnel to track them down. And, you know, when we were there, one jumped the fence and they went and apprehended him. And their comment was, uh, let a drone try to actually catch a illegal alien. Oh, 
details, details, right? That, by the way, is Representative Ralph Norman. Representative Ralph Norman. Not to be confused with uh, the the governor in Virginia who believes in whacking babies while in blackface. Uh, So just to be clear, not your, your, uh, okay, uh, a baby's born, now you kill it, and uh, and, and blackface is cool. Uh, Not that guy. Ralph Norman, representative of South Carolina. And, yes, this just in. A drone isn't exactly going to do it. Again, unless and I, I the, the visual is kind of interesting, you know. If we did have like uh, you know some some really technologically advanced drone, and uh, you, you ended up having it like spot uh, you know a bunch of people that are crossing the border, and uh, it, it did a spotlight, and then you had like all kinds of lights go off, and and then you had swarm, swarm, and and you had all kinds of border patrol folks coming in. I mean, yeah, the, I mean the, the the optics of that are kind of interesting, but probably not going to be highly effective or the the best path forward. That's very cool. I don't even know it worked out that well in that particular episode of Seinfeld. Anyway, uh, let's go to uh, Nancy in Georgia. Nancy, go. Hey, Brian. It's good to talk to you. You're doing a great job filling in for Mark over the past few nights. Thank you very much. And I am basically thinking let's get the pressure off the border because uh, perhaps each of those countries they're from, and they're not just from south of the border, but each of those countries these people are from has a consulate or an embassy. Why couldn't they apply for their asylum at the embassies or mail it in? And that would keep them from dragging children 2,000 miles. It would cut down on coyotes big time. And, um, and those people who are financing all of this, they could go down to those countries and help them maybe put a new roof on the house, maybe get <laughs> some shoes for the kids instead of wasting all that money on these long road trips. Well, and, and not to mention we provide – the actual aid to do things like some of what you're talking about in countries like Honduras, giving them a billion and a half dollars per year or so. Uh, but Nancy, you're 100 percent right. You you are right on every account. You are right about the asylum in the country. So th- the first thing to know about asylum, because this also has been bastardized by your mainstream news media. What is actually asylum? Well, a- asylum is fleeing your government. So if you're fleeing your, your government for your own safety. Does that take you from, say, Honduras across, depending upon the way you decide to go, uh, perhaps Guatemala and then Mexico or just Mexico and then all the way up to – see, what happens is immediately when you get to another country, are you under threat from your original government? No, you're, you're not. So the first thing is protocol is that you declare asylum and the country that you arrive in first. Now, in the case of the original caravans, and uh, I spent some time uh, when I had the opportunity uh, to to fill in for the great one last fall to tell you the, the truth about the caravans. Now, the first thing is that the caravans themselves have been frauds right along. Uh, Pueblo San Fronteras, a uh, front organization, an open borders group that's literally what the name translates to is open borders. They do this. Uh, pretty much all these caravans that you hear about and, and that you see and everything, they have been organized by a group that largely fundraises on the West Coast. Most of the time, like the, the one that came into prominence last fall, they fundraise literally up and down California, from San Francisco down to San Diego, back again, until they got the money they were looking for to be able to go and organize the caravan. Because, to your point, you have all these people. How is it that they actually manage to make it all the way through that country, which is not very safe, uh, as it is in, in Mexico, uh, and, and get from Honduras all the way to, uh, in the case of that caravan last fall, uh, to the southern border in California. Well, well, the answer is they had help. 
They had help. And a lot of that does come from the resources provided by the front organization organizing the whole dang thing. But that's not all. So to your point, when you see that part of the reason why the caravan previously would take the path towards California, one, California, hey, sanctuary state. So you, you got a better chance of finding sympathy there uh, than you do, say, in Texas, right? But the issue became, well, we actually had a border wall and, and, and border patrol and military that were on the ready there. So they weren't able to get across, right? So they're hanging out in Tijuana. The folks in Tijuana didn't want them any more than we did. And so that situation continues to be a mess. So they're like, okay, we're going to come into Texas this time. Now, here's part of the deal about Texas and, and that whole border situation there. That is even worse than coming up the West Coast through Tijuana. You have the Zeta, the, the drug cartel Zeta, that runs that turf all the way through the northern portion of Mexico. These are the folks that will decapitate and do whatever is necessary to send a message to the opposition. They're the ones that basically run the police departments the way they want to in those small towns in northern Mexico because they're all scared of them. The Zeta drug cartel that um, was formed based upon elite military folks from the Mexican military once upon a time that became this criminal organization. So what you actually had was help. Now, we had heard from the uh, Mexican president, the incoming Mexican president, that he would be an ally to the United States, and he would work with us on this whole asylum situation. He hadn't done that. Mexico actually helped get these asylum seekers through the northern portion of Mexico to where they have some protection on the other side of the border. Uh, so Mexicans government, uh, Mexico's government is actually working against us right now. So let's walk back a, a couple of things. Establish that asylum is actually sought in the first country that you arrive in once you have fled your existing government. Now, in many different respects, Mexico has offered asylum. To all of the folks last fall, they were offered asylum. So there was not one single legitimate asylum seeker, not one, that was part of that last caravan that ended up just south of California. So the odds that even if any of them were to be processed, which they have been processed on the other side of the border, that they were ever going to receive asylum in the United States, pretty much nil. But what about these folks, the folks that have not necessarily been offered asylum by the Mexican government? Well, one... Mexico is defying international law on this that they have entered into, an accord they've entered into previously, if they don't offer asylum. But then, even for the folks that are arriving and seeking asylum, only around 30% of them ever receive it, historically. So, in other words, the overwhelming majority of people that we have that, and I mentioned we average over 30,000 people detained at our southern border, that are waiting to be processed, many of which try to seek asylum. They never receive it. So we have all that expense. We have our border patrol that has to do the job. We have all those resources that are being expended. And the overwhelming majority of them are not ever going to be legitimately admitted into this country. So that's the other little factoid about this whole deal. It's all based on a false premise, starting with what asylum actually is. Appreciate the call. Let's go to Mike in Houston. Mike, go. Yeah, how you doing, Brian? Great, all good, man. I love how you. I love how you run your numbers. You'd, you'd have to be a complete moron not to uh, understand that we have a crisis down there after you run those numbers like you do. 
Um, I was under the impression that we're getting about 1,800 to 2,000 a month, or excuse me, a day coming across that border, which is about 60,000 a month, a full football stadium full of illegals coming over. I'm not sure if my numbers are exactly right, but I think they are. That's close to a million. But anyway, we say that there's 22 million illegals in the U.S. right now, give or take. Um, do you think there's a chance that our Democrats, given their track record of wanting to open borders and and uh, higher taxes and, quite frankly, just everything against America possible, do you think there's a chance they're going to be able to get uh, all these illegals to be able to vote? Well, I mean, look, you, you can certainly make the case that there's an end game here with them. And I understand that some estimates do have it as high as 22. The estimates that have been put forward that uh, most will latch on to by the Pew Research Center have it about half that number. Uh, but, uh, yeah, could that be incorrect? It, it certainly could, and it could be, you know, uh, somewhere along the lines of what you're talking about. But in, in terms of the, the question itself, yeah, you, you take a look and – the first act of defiance, and I, I'm going to wander off the reservation here a little bit, but I want to establish a point. One of the big um, aspects of, of Democrat philosophy in the past couple of decades has been to systematically break down our Constitution and break down the rule of law. Because if you can chip away at it here and there, you can eventually get it to be what you want it to be. That could lead to people that are here illegally that would legitimately, in a state-sanctioned kind of way, vote. And there's plenty of evidence that some of that already takes place, by the way, especially in country or uh, states like uh, California. It pretty much is creating its own country. Uh, so here, here's the, the first kind of idea. Uh, marijuana was an interesting example this way. Now, I'm not going to wade into the validity of medical marijuana, recreational marijuana, or anything else along those lines. I tend to take a somewhat libertarian view on a lot of those types of issues. But one thing that marijuana is not anywhere is legal. Why? Because it's a Schedule One drug according to the federal government. Now, because of that you know, pesky Constitution thing we got and the supremacy clause in it, what does that say? Well, it states that you can have a state or local government usurp the authority of the federal government. Yet the first time we saw any state move down the path of legalization of any form of marijuana, what did they do? And part of the issue is with the lack of enforcement of the rule of law as states started to move down this path, we enabled the first opportunity and demonstrated that it could be successfully done. You could actually usurp federal authority, the United States Constitution, and you might not have to pay a price for it. Now, that's the reason why, for example, you still can't use any of the financial system. It's why it's cash business to do recreational or even medical marijuana in the states where it is, quote-unquote, legal. It's only state-sanctioned. It's not legal in the United States of America, as long as we, again, have this Constitution. But here is the opportunity of that. By doing that, what were they able to do? Oh, well, shoot. If we don't have to listen to the United States, uh, the, the federal government, if we don't have to worry about the Constitution uh, when it comes to something like marijuana, I don't think we necessarily want to adhere to, say, their, their standards on uh, legal immigration. We'll decide what we want here in California. And, and we, you know, you, you call a sanctuary state where we just don't care about federal law. We have our own idea on who should be here. You know, the, the state of California actually just uh, approved money to help asylum seekers. Now, think about that. California, 
the residents of California will be paying to onboard asylum seekers. You think about the implication. What is the, the point there if not to eventually get those people to vote? So that's what's happened here is, hey, we will get them in. And maybe the United States is is uh, never going to allow us or, or say that they're here legally and, and they can vote. But we can in California. That is what this path has led us towards. And, and that, I believed from the onset was the real danger of traveling down the path of something like the state-sanctioned marijuana situation. Once you show that you can usurp the United States Constitution effectively, uh, what else will you end up taking up in a state like California? So that's the real danger. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great Mudd Lovin. If you have a moment, I want you all to go to BrickHouseLevin.com. Just go there and click on the Buy Now button so you can read the reviews. Over 1,200 five-star reviews, I might add. But this one caught my attention from Steve in Denver. I'm upset with Mark because he's got me hooked on Field of Greens. What a great product. Thank you, BrickHouse, for your amazing product and great customer service. I'm a monthly subscriber, and I won't live without it. And you're welcome, Steve. And subscribing is smart. You save money that way. Field of Greens is made with real USDA organic fruits and vegetables and helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. Plus, they offer a 100% satisfaction guarantee or your money back. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN. Get 15% off your first order with promo code LEVIN. That's BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN, promo code LEVIN. law enforcement perspective, however, putting any sort of artificial cap on our ability to do our job and to remove public safety threats from the street is damaging the public safety. Oh, but you know, what What big deal is public safety, right? I mean, come on. It's only the first and only federally mandated responsibility of our representatives in Congress. But other than that, I mean, uh, you know, it's not that important. That was Matthew Albans. He is the deputy director at ICE talking about the problems we have as Democrats right now as part of this negotiation are not wanting to fund ICE to the extent that they need to be funded with what our existing needs are, let alone the crush of new folks who have been uh, coming to the southern border. Now, give you an idea of how bad some of this is, it's not just ICE, but our Border Patrol. And a lot of that's a, a good place to actually start a conversation anyway, because most people who are not informed don't know the difference between ICE and the Border Patrol. They are two different organizations. And ICE, for that matter, operates in far more countries than the United States. In fact, most people don't have the first clue that ICE is actually mostly international and, and not uh, domestic uh, in, in terms of a lot of their responsibilities. But nevertheless, when you take a look at the Border Patrol, think about the job for a moment. You're at the southern border. Every day is dangerous. Generally hot. As uh, you will see some of the pictures, people might throw rocks at you. And then what happens? Well, you don't know if you're going to be supported, right? Now, I mentioned earlier, how would you like to be a soldier going into battle without the equipment you need? So here's the Border Patrol. And again, the Border Patrol, they're the ones who requested the wall. Donald Trump, the candidate, actually listened to them. And 
it became branded around him. But this is the Border Patrol's wall. Again, even Obama's Border Patrol chief, who disagrees with Donald Trump politically and that Donald Trump fired when he got in there, has been pleading with the president to stay the course on the border wall because it's that important of an issue. So what happens when you have all this going on? You think a lot of people want to be Border Patrol agents? Well, no, and and that's another part of the problem here. So in addition to the danger that Democrats have put our country in by virtue of the lack of willingness to actually listen to the people doing the job, to say we need the additional physical barrier, they're having a hard time hiring people. In fact, we haven't been at even the funded level of capacity, let alone the increases the president has called for. Give you an idea. Most recently, uh, coming out of January, we had 19,544 Border Patrol agents. That is nearly 2,000 below where we were in 2011. Nearly 2,000 below where we were in 2011 when we didn't have the huge increases of folks that are crashing our southern border. It brought you last hour, 60% increase year over year right now after a 26% increase last year and fewer Border Patrol agents. Because who wants to sign up for a job where you don't know if you're going to get the equipment that you need, where half the country is, is going to demonize you for doing the job to keep them safe? And that's the other problem we've got here. It's a problem that I've been concerned about for years with our police officers. Different version of a similar thing. We've seen year after year of late, more police officers dying. Last year for the first time ever, number one cause of death on record in the United States for police officers dying, murder. So every time we see law enforcement and those that are out there to protect us and secure us being undermined by Democrats, not only does it make the country less safe and makes fewer people, fewer good people want to do the job. They're a danger, they're a threat, and they violate their oath to the Constitution. I'm Brian Mudd, and for the great one, Mark Levin. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Capitalism really is the answer, right? Government didn't give you your smartphone that you love or whatever piece of technology you love. I mean, we have 20% more efficiency per capita per person than just 10 years ago. And literally every day that an appliance dies in somebody's home, we become more energy efficient. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I got a lot of mileage out of that line. Got a lot of mileage out of that line. Discussion with uh, Leland Vitter, the Fox News Channel, yesterday on the Dancing Queen, AOC's Green New Deal. And I wanted to illustrate a point, and I'm going to illustrate the point with uh, that degree of absurdity here again in a moment. But it actually is true. It's the irony of the Green New Deal. So, I mean, I get the, the first question that we really have to address uh, with, with the Green New Deal is if they figured out what their plan is. And hey there, it is uh, Brian Mudd, your, your South Florida friend. I host the Morning Rush on WJNO in West Palm Beach, the Brian Mudd Show on WIOD in Miami, 
guest contributor to the Fox News Channel, and I have been known to uh, wash windows when there are fingerprints on them. Actually, I'm not very good at that because I always end up with smudges. You, think you hate that? You, you see the window. It's got, like, fingerprints. You go over there, and you try to get it, and, and somehow or another, all you do is smudge it. I don't know the, the good technique or something. Anyway, um, but uh, always an honor and a pleasure to be here with you, uh, guest hosting for the great one, Mark Levin. Now, when it comes to the, the Green New Deal, uh, if they have actually decided what is in their plan, because the only thing we were missing after last week uh, it was rolled out and – the version that was put up on AOC's website was then taken down, and then you had the chief advisor come out and, and say that uh, it uh, was was contradictory to what it actually said because, well, you had uh, people in the one draft version that said that uh, it, would, it would pay people who were unwilling to work, but we are not planning on paying people who are unwilling to work and then AOC herself went out there and contradicted that whole thing so I'm not really sure what's in the plan I, I'm waiting for Nancy Pelosi to come out and say that uh, we, we need to pass it to uh, to know what's in it or, or maybe AOC will just do that herself and there is a degree of hilarity I mean we actually do have to take this seriously to a certain degree because there is a percentage of the pop population that might go hey they're really on to something here uh, so don't take it for get, for granted because the education establishment is what you really have to worry about. Anybody with any degree of sense understands that this is you know absolutely absurd on its surface, including Nancy Pelosi, by the way. The one thing that I do enjoy seeing in all this, how much space Nancy Pelosi has to give to AOC. That must have been their arrangement because, remember, AOC could have uh, gone uh, on her little protest movement and uh, put the heat on Nancy Pelosi Maybe Nancy doesn't become Speaker of the House. So Nancy strikes this deal, and part of it is going to be to to give Ocasio-Cortez uh, as much room as she needs to put out brilliant proposals like this one. So Nancy somewhere is saying they're shaking her head going, when is this going to end? There is that. However, when you actually take a look at the plan itself, well, whatever version you want to take a look at. This one is more easy to analyze than most because you can reject it. I will tell you various things like there are two sides to stories, one side to facts. I'll talk about the premise. If the premise of anything is false, anything built on it is too. Uh, see, this is based on a false premise. Therefore, we can reject it and actually get back to some sense of reality. The federal government does not provide greater efficiency, right? This was really interesting. A number of years ago, I want to say it was five or six years ago now. And I, uh, and, but anyway, they, they, generally this will likely still apply. If you take the federal government, for example, even administering assistance programs at the local level, you know what the average efficiency rating is of assistance programs in your community administered by the federal government? At least back then, about 18%, meaning that. For every dollar that you would be taxed into the bureaucracy, it would spit back out about 18 cents at the local level. Now, the average efficiency rating of a credible charity in the United States is not 18 cents on the dollar. It's 80 cents on the dollar. See, the difference is with the federal government, by virtue of what it is, if it taxes you, what happens? Money goes to the Treasury. Then if it's going to be an assistance program at the local level, 
Well, the Treasury is then going to send it to whatever federal agency it is that would pertain to the assistance that is going to be administered at the local level. So you already have the bureaucracy with the Treasury, then going to whatever the next department is at the federal government. Then that federal agency is going to do what? It's going to shoot it down to likely the state. And the state is then going to take a look and maybe on a regional level, provide it to some agency that will operate within that given community. And maybe that agency that is operating regionally in that given state will have people at the local level that it then distributes. So every step of the way, what happens? Well, inefficiency. Therefore, dollar in, 18 cents out versus 80 cents just with the average and plenty of great charities that do 90% or even better. So that just is common sense when you think about the logistics involved that I just laid out. So the idea that necessarily anything is going to become more efficient by virtue of the bureaucracy, even if you thought the federal government was a lean, mean machine, doesn't even make sense. It can't operate so efficiently. But when you're talking about the federal government and energy policy in particular in trying to come up with a cleaner environment, let's start the conversation here. Do you think the average American produces, A, more pollution than 10 years ago? B, less pollution than 10 years ago. See, about the same amount of pollution. All right, got it? The answer is B. Yeah, we produce less pollution than 10 years ago. In fact, the average American does produce 20% less carbon output today, according to the Federal Energy Administration. We're putting out 20% less carbon per capita in the United States today over just a decade ago. In fact, we just reached our lowest levels of carbon output per capita in 67 years. Think about that. You have to go back to the 1950s. Think about our lives in the 1950s. Think about where we are as a society today. We have the same amount of carbon output. And we have a little bit more going on in our lives than we did in the 1950s, technologically with the use of energy and everything being connected and the like. So here's the point. Technology. How is technology created? The cell phone that you love. The tablet that you love. Your smart TV and your streaming devices on and everything. All that stuff that is really cool. Federal government created it, right? Yeah, you know, the the, the feds. They, they do all this. All that technology you love created by your efficient federal government. Oh, no. Not at all, actually, right? Because, of course... The brilliance of our system of government is what? The government does best when it stays the hell out of our way and allows us to do things. So that you can have folks like, I don't know, Steve Jobs that go, hey, you know what? I think we can have personal computing. And then, uh, hey, we can have some really great innovation that turns your mobile device into an actual computer. And then we can stream stuff. And, I I mean, it's going to, huh. So, that being the case. Technology actually provides the solutions to a cleaner country. And the irony is we are already working that way because ask yourself this next question. You ever woken up and go, you know what I really want to do today? I was thinking about seeing how much money I could go blow in some gas. I'm just going to like fill up a barrel of this stuff and go put down the field and light that sucker up. Good times, right? I mean, naturally, we, we like as a country, seeing how much money we can waste on on gas and on energy, right? 
I don't know a person who doesn't do that. And then, uh, to go along with it, the, the ambient bonus of going out there and, uh, you know, like uh, just, just setting gas on fire is the pollution of the environment. Because everybody I know goes, you know what I really want to do? I really want to pollute. If I could waste a ton of money by just like literally burning barrels of gas in a field and polluting the environment, that's a good day. Right? Come on. Everybody does it. Everybody thinks that. No? Huh. Okay. So, given that the average person probably doesn't want to waste money on energy if they can help it, and given that the average person probably doesn't want to screw the environment as much as possible, given the opportunity not to, what do you think is going to happen? Oh, technology is going to keep advancing as long as the government doesn't get in the way of it. And technology is going to keep doing what? Making things more efficient. So literally, to my quote that ended up uh, getting a, a response yesterday, every single time we have an appliance die in the United States of America, every time, on average, we're becoming more energy efficient as a country. Every time, on average, a car is taken to the scrap yard, this country becomes more energy and efficient, becomes more energy efficient. Every single piece of technology improves efficiency, and it gets better, and it gets better, and it gets better, and it's going to keep getting better as long as we have technology and as long as people aren't desirous of wasting as much money on energy as they can and polluting for the hell of it just because, hey, that's a good day. So you don't have to worry about AOC's Green New Deal. The Green New Deal is actually called capitalism. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mudd Lovin'. Exciting. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it away from the fog. Oh, yeah, there you go. Ah, oh, Nancy Pelosi flashback on the Affordable Care Act. He's going to pass it. Find out what's in it to get away from the fog. Uh, just waiting for the AOC moment on that. We don't know what's in it, but uh, well, he's got to pass it, and then we'll find out. All right, so on Friday... I uh, brought you a story, provocative story, that addressed the real premise of what has been going on in Virginia. What annoys me the most about the, the trio, the Three Stooges in Virginia, is that what the, the focus is, is on it is not the premise. It's not the reason we have these controversies. Remember, the only reason, the only reason we have the controversies in Virginia because the governor, Northam, was so desirous of making the case for whacking a baby after it had been born that you actually had medical school students, now doctors, but there were students with him at the time. They were so morally repulsed by what he was advocating that they felt they had to do whatever they possibly could to put an end to it so it didn't become law. Think about that for a moment. From their perspective. But that has not been the focus because your mainstream news media, the last thing they want to have is uh, any kind of light 
shown on what actually was being proposed in Virginia. They actually could have a baby born and then, quote-unquote, aborted at that point. And that you have a governor that makes a case for it. So that being the case, uh, in in all the rest of the scrutiny about the governor and and the blackface and uh, then the attorney general who said, yeah, the governor uh, should resign uh, because, wow, racist, you know, the blackface thing, uh, because he didn't realize that he was going to be outed. I mean, what kind of a scumbag do you have to be to be that guy? But anyway, and then you got the lieutenant governor who, hey, uh, maybe if there's any truth to these uh, sexual assault rumors, uh, maybe the single best thing that happens here is we actually have justice for, uh, you know, a, a potential potential uh, sexual predator. So, hey, th- th- there is that. But beyond all of that, the abortion situation, the conversation about the premise of Virginia and what happened in New York as well. I presented the scientific case. And I did so deliberately. And I overwhelmingly received positive response through the weekend from you. You guys, amazing listeners. I mean, this audience, you're wonderful. You're brilliant. And I can share information with you in a way that, you know, I I wouldn't in, in many other places. And I love it. But I understand that many of you wanted me to go farther than just the scientific definition. One of the uh, folks who tweeted me, by the way, you may follow me, at Brian Mudd Radio on Twitter. One person said this, you have the opportunity to reach millions of people who need the real bottom line spelled out in basic terms, too. It's okay to articulate an opinion with real basic words. Murder is one. Here's the thing about it. Just to set this up in case you missed it on Friday, the scientific definition of life is this, the condition that distinguishes animals and plants from inorganic matter, including the capacity for growth, reproduction, functional activity, and continual change preceding death. Okay, That is the scientific definition of life. So lest one is a science denier, we have to account for this conversation. If we're taking a look at pregnancy, for example, as early as conception, what do we have? Well, is there the capacity for growth? Well, the answer would be yes. Is there the potential to reproduce? Well, the answer is yes. Is there the potential for functional activity? Well, yes, there there certainly is. Is there continual change preceding death? Well, yeah, of course. Okay, so it, it is scientifically a fact that as early as conception, you have life, every characteristic of life. Now, in the case of the situation in New York and Virginia, what we're discussing is the extent to which those politicians were willing to eliminate it. Now, the reason that I stop there, and I have no interest in traveling down the path of terms like murder, for example, even if you can make the case, and I think you can, by the way, you'll lose your audience immediately. See, the biggest mistake that people enter into is an emotional argument, especially when it's such an emotional issue. I get it. But here's the thing. If you have someone who is open-minded, but they might view things differently than you, do you think if you go in with those types of terms, those emotional terms, and say it's, in that case, murder, that they're going to be more or less inclined to listen to you? Or do you think they're likely to shut down? See, the issue is, too often we involve emotions when if they simply are presented with the facts, 
They can see for themselves what it really is. You reach more people, you open more minds, you got a better chance of making a difference that way. That's why I presented it just as I did, and I hope that you will do the same if you're passionate about the topic. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one, Mark Levin. This is the home of the July 4th Americans. And you can call at 877-381-3811. I would implore my friends across the aisle, untangle yourselves from the most extreme far-left voices out on the fringe. Do not let this radical fringe and its absurd demand prevent you from taking yes for an answer. The little uh, noise in the middle there was his uh, Rubio moment where he's up giving his big inspirational speech there to untangle yourself from the radical elements. And then he uh, got his drink of water. He's back at it. Uh, good old McConnell, man. Nobody, nobody can give a uh, a rally speech like that man. Whew. Yeah, right. But then, you know, every now and then you take a look and you go, all right, he'll drive you crazy a lot of the time. And then you, you look back and go, yeah, you know, uh, but w- we did get a couple of Supreme Court justices. And, oh, wow, he actually has helped uh, pave the path for a record number of confirmations uh, of federal judges in the first couple of years of a presidency. And you go, all right, well, you know, we'll, we'll keep them for now. We'll, we'll let them say. Um, all right. It is uh, Brian Muddy in for the great one, Mark Levin. And uh, we have been teeing up uh, any number of things, including the Green New Deal and our, our friend, the the Dancing Queen, uh, AOC. And uh, let's go to Kathy in Scranton. Uh, Kathy, go. Yes, um, this Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or AOC, another outrageous communist. Okay, what college did she go to? And how many Benjamins did her parents put out to send her to this college? We need to know these things, because <laughs> well, that's outrageous. Yeah, yeah well, in the best part about uh, the the highly educated Ocasio-Cortez uh, that uh, uh, ended up going to Boston University is that she was supposed to have a degree in, in economics, I mean that was the fascinating part about all of this, which is why you know she will come up with things like the the uh, you know Green New Deal uh, certainly because well shoot if anybody's going to be an expert on it it would it would be the Dancing Queen uh, so yeah it, back to McConnell's point about untangling yourself from the radical elements there certainly could be a case to be made uh, that uh, she might represent that but again what's going on right now it's the one thing that I gives me a little bit of peace in this process to know. That somewhere right now, Nancy Pelosi is going, how can I get this woman out of my life? This was the deal made with the devil. You know, and, and you, you can determine which one that is in particular. But uh, the, to make sure that Nancy Pelosi got her gavel back and was Speaker of the House. So all this is a byproduct of it. Let's go to Cameron in Reno. Cameron, go. Uh, Mr. Mudd, appreciate you taking the call. Um, I kind of was thinking about this Green New Deal, and I think it's the perfect opportunity to show decisively how the, the progressive left in this country has no understanding of cause and effect, how the world actually works. Specifically, um, the proposal to reduce the methane output from cows. And uh, I, I know that you are up on the news, and so I'm sure that every year you see 
the the millions of acres that are burned in the western United States by wildfires. No and while some on the left try to attribute that to global warming or climate change or whatever they want to call it, the fact of the matter is that there's a direct correlation between the amount of uh, stringent grazing restrictions that are placed on farmers and ranchers across the West and the amount of acres burned. And it's grown exponentially over the past few decades as those restrictions have been put in place more and more. And I just wish someone would do the math and show the amount of carbon output that is generated by these ever-increasing wildfires versus what the potential takeaway would be by uh, banning cows or reducing the amount of cows out there. Cameron, good stuff. And I like the homework assignment. I do uh, for my local shows, Q&A every day, and uh, I really like that topic. If uh, you go ahead and shoot it to me, look up my information and, and shoot it to me and... I will do the work on it and get you that number. Uh, that is something that I love. The next time I'm with you, I'll go ahead and, and give you that information. So uh, uh, please do. But your gold star call there because he's dead on. Here is uh, an important point to be made, and not just about the uh, the uh, fires and the, the brush he's talking about there, the California wildfires. I remember when this whole thing became as bad as it became last year, I remember – reporting on the changes in policy in California back in the early part of last decade and talking at the time about how that was going to be a catastrophic problem. Now, specifically what happened in many uh, parts of California, you had restrictions put up by the state government that would not allow dead trees to be cleared out. Now, what does nature do when you have something that dies? How does nature recycle itself? Well, it burns itself, right? And then you have the nutrients that po- that populate the soil, and, and that brings life back again. That's nature's way. So if you have increased development and you have a state government that prevents you from taking down the dead trees because you're protecting even the dead ones, what are you going to have? We're well, going to have exponentially worse wildfires than you've ever had before. And you don't need anything akin to climate change or global warming or anything else. It, you, you just need nature doing what nature does to restore, restore itself. Uh, so no surprise that we got here. But again, that's something else that is buried in news media. And something else, I, I love the environmental topics for a few reasons. Because a lot of people like to put conservatives in buckets and, and stereotype. I'm an environmentalist. And a lot of liberals go, oh, please. No, I I really am. In fact, I'm such the environmentalist that me, your your right-wing friend here, I'm the spokesman for the Solid Waste Authority in Palm Beach County because you're going to find few people that do the work that I do. On a good day in the afternoon, I go kayak and clean up the Intracoastal Waterway. And I take all the garbage, and I take the recyclables, and I put them in the different bins, and I do all that stuff. And I've walked it for years, especially here in Florida. One of the things you'll find, there are two reasons we're down here. It's for the taxes and it's for the weather. And if you're going to enjoy the environment, certainly can't do that by polluting it. So, you know, we've got a lot of conservatives down here that are big-time environmentalists. Oh, but you can't. Bull crap. The environment never should have been a political issue. And relative to climate change, I mean, I, I hate to... Uh, be the bearer of factual information in what is supposed to be a big political argument. But when hasn't the, the climate been changing? I mean, I'm just 
And you know, the, the cow flatulence, I mean, you know, before it was cow flatulence, I guess it was dino flatulence, right? Because if it was the, the carbon output uh, by us and by, by cows, that necessarily makes everything worse. Which, by the way, the average cow puts out more carbon than your car in the average year, just as an aside. But uh, I guess it was all the dino flatulence that, that led to the end of them or whatever. But the bottom line is we've had a minimum of three mass extinction events on this planet, right? All before we were around to uh, to drive cars or even have the cows that we enjoy flatulate. Just bigger things like, you know, bigger versions of cows, I guess. So the the question you have to ask yourself is, uh, okay, what ultimately is our role in it? And this is where common sense enters the equation. Now, rather than entering down the path of the extremism and, and uh, you know, all the folks who get excited, there there's a lot of common sense that's involved. For example, if we can have something that's more energy efficient and it's not going to be an inconvenience to everyday life, should we do that? Yeah, I think so. And I think everybody would agree to that, by the way, because, again, I've yet to meet somebody who wakes up and goes, you know what I really want to be doing? Man, if I could just pollute today and waste some money while I pollute, that's the win-win right there, right? Uh, so, yeah, there are people that are more responsible than others, no doubt about it. I clean up every day uh, for the people who are not as responsible. But the point remains. And so given that most of us would want things to be cleaner, would want things to be more efficient, would want things to be cheaper because guess what? We're also cleaner and more efficient. We can work that way. And we work that way through limited government. We work that way through technology. And whatever will be will be with the rest of the environment. But the one thing that we have proven time and again is that where we try to control things, guess what? We don't do so well. So when we can try try to control nature in California by not letting it do what it wants to do, uh, then you're going to have problems. Or if we say it, it has to do what it, it's going to do naturally, but uh, we're not going to let you do anything to protect your home, guess what's going to happen? So it's a funny thing, funny thing about nature, the environment, climate, what have you. Let's go to uh, Brian in Kentucky. Brian, go. Hey, yeah. Um, well, first, I just wanted to make a comment real quick about the the wall earlier. I was thinking if Trump uh, could really hurt the Democrats by announcing that he would uh, do a massive immigration sweep, using all the resources for that if he didn't get the funding. And basically what that would do is put Nancy in a position where she'd have to choose between the illegals coming into the country and the ones that are in here, rather than wall or no wall. And as far as the Green Deal goes... Um, and cow flagellants, um, I think if Nancy just uh, kept her mouth shut, that would have about the same effect on the environment. Well, it definitely would be less carbon output if, if she didn't spend as much time perpetuating hot gases. I would agree with you there. Uh, <laughs> now, <laughs> when we take a look at uh, the, the wall and the crackdown, um, if we – things don't have to be so complicated. Uh, you know, the moment that politics enters stuff – since exits the the equation a lot of times. So once upon a time, uh, this wasn't a political issue, right? Once upon a time, you had Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, uh, among others, that voted for the border wall funding. That all happened. In fact, that, that whole entire group that I just mentioned by name, they specifically all were together in the same Congress to vote on it as recently as 2006. And then you had a vote as recently as 2013 that included physical border funding again 33 percent of our southern border has a physical barrier 33 percent how did it get there and get there because donald trump right it got there because you had folks in our government the border patrol said hey um 
Big problems over here. We could use some, uh, you know, big, uh, I guess we could call it a wall. We could use that over here. A little help. So they actually went ahead and funded it. But then uh, Donald Trump paid attention to the Border Patrol who said, hey, we don't have, the. we have more people trying to get across. They're more dangerous. We need help. We need more of a physical border. So Donald Trump said, oh, okay, uh, and made that a campaign issue. And then he talked about his big, beautiful wall. And, and that was going to be the end of it, right? Because Democrats have done what? They, they said they stand for resist. And as long as you stand for resist, well, you're certainly not going to go along with the border wall. But, again, this is where this comes full circle. I touched on this ever so briefly Friday night. But the one thing that is not being discussed in your news media is what's real on the ground of House Democrats. Again, Nancy Pelosi is being driven crazy by AOC. Somewhere that's happening, and and I get a kick out of it. Uh, But the bigger thing is that AOC does not represent your average freshman Democrat, nor does the racist and the bigot from Minnesota who obviously hates Israel and, and hates Jewish people, even if she apologizes every time that she indicates yet again that she does. So what really goes on is that the Democrats won the House by flipping seats that Republicans held previously districts that were won by Republicans with Donald Trump at the top of the ballot in 2016. Now, Donald Trump is going to be on the ballot again in 2020 next year. If you are one of those dozens of Democrats in the House, how is it that you're going to justify to your constituents somebody who voted for Donald Trump, voted for a Republican in that election, But this time around, you should go with me, even though all I'm doing is voting with Nancy Pelosi. You think that's going to fly in those districts? And that's what's real. So somewhere along the way, those Democrats that you never hear from because they aren't the dancing queen are going to show up and they are going to vote for physical wall funding. You just haven't heard that part of it yet, but that's coming. That's the real power structure within the House Democrats right now. Your mainstream news media is doing everything they can to prop up the status quo. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great. Mudd, love in. folks, the ones getting screwed. But he wants to, of course, do trade with China. He just wants well, it to be fair to this country. But they've got a great relationship. They will meet again soon. There you go, Kellyanne. Why are we getting screwed? Why are we getting screwed on trade? Yeah? I'm saying? So, President Xi, come back here to Mar-a-Lago and, and let's do this like a man. Come on. Uh, that is the latest word, by the way, that uh, they are working on a, uh, a second meeting uh, with President Xi coming to Mar-a-Lago. The one thing that I will tell you, uh, because... It's my backyard. I I live in the area. Um, And, well, uh, when President Xi came to town, his wife loved roaming all over the Palm Beaches. And, of course, that becomes a big security concern, big pain in the butt. So then uh, then you have to shut things down all over the place. Not as bad as the time that Barack Obama said, hey, you know what I want to do? I want to drive on I-95 from central Palm Beach County all the way down to Miami. That was absolutely freaking fantastic. And by the way, when you hear people that that complain about the traffic and everything, it's such bull crap. It's not that big of a deal down here. It really isn't. Uh, It's just more nonsense. Anyway, uh, we have big uh, breaking news here. It was almost like right on cue, right on cue with uh, what I ended the previous segment with. 
Word is that there is an agreement in principle on a budget deal, and one that would include, reportedly, border security funding and, quote, other issues that could avert a second partial government shutdown, uh, citing Fox News there. And uh, when Senator Richard Shelby was asked if he thinks that the president would agree to what this bipartisan group uh, came to, he said, I think so. And you know that the only way that uh, there would be an agreement with the president is if, indeed, you had the funding for additional border wall security. So uh, more to come in the not-so-distant, I am sure. But, again, what you hadn't been told in the mainstream news media was one of the secret ingredients here. The freshman Democrats that are not AOC or Islamic racist. Uh, the, the folks that were in districts that were held by Republicans uh, just a couple of months ago. Those districts, the ones that voted for Donald Trump as well, uh, if they want to hang on to their political lives, they needed to do something along this line. And they have more power than you will ever hear about in your mainstream news media. Nancy Pelosi, no doubt, fit, felt the heat, even if she never said so. Uh, so, again, if you're sitting there and you get frustrated watching all this stuff, there's plenty of reason to. Know this. On one end, you have Nancy Pelosi that had to do her deal with a dancing queen in order to become Speaker of the House. So she has to go out there and let AOC do her Green New Deal and make a fool out of herself. Uh, and on the other hand, she's got these Democrats in these flip swing districts that need to vote for the border wall in order to keep their jobs next year. So just, uh, you know, lay your head on your pillow and, and know that Nancy is not a happy girl. And that's, well, President... Still working, make make America great again. One piece of the wall at a time. Been an honor and a pleasure, always is. Brian Mudd, and for the great one, Mark Levin.